welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. Well, River Valley, I am so excited to be with all of you this weekend, and maybe you did not expect to see me up here this weekend, but I can tell you I didn't expect it as well. Um, We were at our staff meeting on Tuesday, and we had a guest speaker that had planned to speak, and she was also going to stay and share the weekend as well, and she lost her voice completely. And so she lost her voice, and so my dad had asked, hey, why don't you speak a short teaching? And as I was giving the teaching, my mom leaned over to him and said, hey, you should let him speak the weekend. So thanks, mom, for saying that. Sometimes, sometimes it's your mom, just like Jesus. It was his mom that pushed him out. And I'm nowhere near like him, but I hope that he speaks through me today. And I hope that we get something out of this message. And I want to talk today about character. And one of the things that I love about character is when you get close to somebody, you start to see their character more, right? You start to see them in a way that other people have. And I know that I've had a front row seat being uh, Pastor Rob's youngest son to see him very close, seeing him at his best times and his worst of times. And I can tell you with full assurance that he is a man of character. And I love teaching Welcome Home. My wife and I, we've been a part of our city campus for the last seven years and just recently transitioned to the Apple Valley campus. And one person said, the prodigal son's returned. And I said, I've been a pastor on staff this whole time. But I love teaching Welcome Home and telling people as they watch the video, the story of the church, it didn't begin this way with all the campuses. It began with humble beginnings. And I just love telling people that my parents are real. They are pastors of this church, but they're my parents. And I've seen them and just seen the character that they have. And last week, though, uh, Pastor Rob, he did expose himself. He did call himself the name that we sometimes call him, the Delta Diamond Diva. And for those who are wondering what that means, sometimes we abbreviate the acronym to 3D. Um, But basically what it means is he doesn't know how lines work. And I don't know if there's anyone in your family this way. Maybe it's his, you know, he doesn't have many flaws, but he just, he doesn't figure out that lines just take time, right? It's like traffic. Just why is this happening? Because there's a lot of people here that are trying to get through TSA and he always is thinking of a more efficient way to make it happen. And so that's, that's where the name came from. So if you're curious, last week, that's why we call him that. But I've had the chance to be close to people and experience many people who maybe are, are well-known in the church world or well-known in the world and get to see them up close. And you know, I, one of the roles that I have, you maybe saw my, my title's Pastor of Influence. And you may say, what is the Pastor of Influence? I'm still trying to figure that out. Basically, everything that doesn't have an area for it to fit ends up in the world influence. But one of the main things that I do is I get to travel with my dad and help churches all around the world growing in the area of generosity. We get to teach them about what God has done through Kingdom Builders, as well as I get to host a couple of podcasts each week and travel around and just see what God is doing through all of the different ministries that we support. And so I've had the chance to meet people, and one of the things is guest hosting. And some of you remember this from Mother's Day, but we had a chance to host. Justin Bieber came to the church, and I was in charge of hosting him. And it was a cool experience, and you know, you get to see someone up close. And afterwards, he invited me over to the house that he was renting, but I said, sorry, I can't make it. I have a fishing trip that my dad, brother, and I are going on, but appreciate the invitation. And after I told people that, a lot of people began to question me and say, what were you thinking? 
Why wouldn't you have changed your flight? Why wouldn't you have changed your plan? Just go to the fishing trip the next day. Why wouldn't you have hung out with him? And, you know, doubt began to go into my head and I started thinking, maybe, maybe they're right. You know, maybe I should have said, said yes, because, I mean, I'm the pastor of influence after all. <laughs> maybe my ministry would grow or maybe I would, you know, be one of those pastors that was in the Instagram posts or, or you know, maybe we're closer in age. Maybe I would become his accountability partner. You start to believe these things that other people feed you with. And it's not that he did, anything, he did anything wrong or I did anything wrong, but people start to say, why didn't you do this? And maybe you've experienced that in the company you work or the school you're in or a relationship that you've been a part of. People start to feed you ideas. And really what it is is they want us to love what they love. And so many of us, we love the world. We love the things all around us. Come on, what's not to love? There's, there's so many things. There's great cars. There's a house. There's all these you know, social media followers that we can go after. And as I began to process the things that people began to tell me, I came across this verse. And it's a verse that many of us have maybe come across before. But I was reading it, and it starts pretty strong in James chapter 4, verse 4. You adulterous people. How's that first start? Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Do you not suppose it's no purpose that Scripture says he yearns jealousy, jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, as I read that, read that verse, I figured it can't really mean like that bad, right? God opposed, like I don't want God to oppose me. I'm sure that it means something different, right? That, that God couldn't be opposed to me because I thought God loves me. I thought he cared about me. I thought I was made in his image. He knows the number of hairs on my head. I mean, I read all these verses. How could God be opposed to me if I'm just a little bit proud? Well, I can tell you it is that serious. It actually is maybe worse than the, the way we read it on the page. I don't want to be an enemy of God. And I was listening to a pastor talk about this and he shared a sobering thought. He said, this verse explains that you don't even have to be successful at being a friend of the world. All you have to do is want to be. You see, it's so easy for us to sit in the seats and be critical of the athletes or the celebrities that carry it. And, you know, they, they go and they share at their award ceremony that they believe in God. And it's so easy for us to criticize them. Oh, look at them. They don't even live a godly life. Look at all their possessions. Look at all the things that they deal with. I heard the lyrics of their song. I saw the words that they said on the field. You see, we don't even have to be successful at getting favor in the world. Put another way, you don't need millions of followers. You don't need to have lots of money. You don't need to be famous. All you have to do is wish that were the case. And we find ourselves an enemy of God. Now, the right question to ask is, does that mean that all wealth and all recognition and every follower on my social media account and everything means that I'm an enemy of God? Well, of course it can't be the case, right? So how do we know? 
If our recognition comes from our selfish desire to be recognized, or if it comes from God's exaltation due to our obedience to him. Thankfully, the verse continues. In James 4, 7, it says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, what makes pride so dangerous? Barclay said, Pride cherishes its own independence. It will be indebted or obligated to no one, not even to God. You know, when we submit ourselves to God, we hear that verse, we hear people talk about it quite frequently, submit ourselves. You see it all throughout the New Testament, submit, submit, submit. But submission is very easy when you agree with the person that you're submitting under, right? Maybe it's a boss at work or maybe it's a teacher or a coach that you have on your team. It's so easy if it's, it's in line with what you want, right? Hey, this is the plan, absolutely. We're gonna go with the proposal that they drew up. Oh, perfect, love it, amazing. You start to read scripture and you see, have no other gods before me. Eh, that's pretty easy, right? In our country, it's like, yeah, there's not really all that many gods, but maybe if you lived in India where there's gods that are worshiped all over, maybe that verse would ring more true, right? okay, have no other gods before me. I'm good, that's easy. Do not murder. For most of us, that's an easy one, right? You know, we've thought about it. I have a brother, right? <laughs> when you're a kid, and I'm a younger brother, so the younger sibling, like, I, I cheated in fighting. I did. I, I, I don't like to admit it, but... I would say, okay, I'm done, I'm done. He would pin me to the ground. We'd be wrestling. He'd pin me to the ground. I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. And then as he turns his back, how many of you know you're the younger sibling? Then you'd jump on him and you just try to get him down. And I knew it was cheating, but I just, I wanted to beat him so bad. Didn't really want to murder him. I did once throw a ping pong paddle at him across the, the basement and it put a hole in the wall. And I remember trying to get him to like, just tell mom and dad it was you. And they're like, they're, they're gonna know it wasn't me. <laughs> People ask me sometimes, they say, who is the nicer of the, the brothers? I say, well, compared to most people, I would have been the, the better kid. But compared to Connor, there's no comparing. He was like in the angel child. I once convinced him at, at uh, the dollar store, to, we each had $2. I convinced him to give me one of his dollars because, you know, I, I need three and he only needs one. He's like, okay, that's fine. Wow. So anytime something was broken around the house, my parents knew it was me. But you hear Jesus and he says, turn the other cheek. Ooh, starting to get harder. Pray for those who persecute you. Ooh. It's easy to submit to God when the things he's asking us to do are easy because they've already been settled in our life. But when it almost is like, I don't know if you've had this happen, it's almost like scripture is poking at the wound it's poking at the bitterness. We just had Thanksgiving. It's poking at that, that relative you have a disagreement with or it's poking at the differences you have with your friends, or your family, or it's poking at the things. That's the spirit, right? It's the conviction that says, hey, you need to work on that. You need to give that to me. The next part of this verse says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. A lot of us in our posture with fighting the enemy is a very passive battle. 
We almost hold our hands up like really low. Like, oh. resist the devil. Like, just go away from me. Get behind me, Satan. Just get behind me. There. Like, get out of the way. Do you know resistance is an active response? It's not a passive one. So many people, were, we think about the devil going away. We wish that he would go away. We may even post on social media that I just want him to go away. But you know how we resist the devil? We get on our knees and we pray and we intercede. You know how we resist the devil? We keep ourselves accountable. I saw a clip on Instagram the other day and the pastor, he said, accountability is not somebody keeping you accountable. It's yourself keeping yourself accountable. It's easy to come up with different ways to, to say, oh yeah, check my internet history because I've wiped it. Oh yeah, I've been great. I've been awesome. I've not said anything bad when anyone is around. You see, it's so easy for us to get caught up in this trap of, oh, I just, I wish, I wish, I wish I could resist the devil. No, you can, but you need to resist. You need to fight against him. You need to push away. You saw what Joseph did when Potiphar said, hey, come sleep with me. He said, no, I'm running away. I'm fleeing. I'm resisting. It is an active response that we need to have. So I'd encourage us not to wish it were the case. But to say, I'm going to pray, I'm going to fight this battle, knowing that he will flee. It's a promise. You resist, God will give you the strength to resist, and he will flee from you. This next verse is maybe my favorite verse in the whole Bible, if not my favorite one of them. James 4, 8, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. It's an amazing verse. But as you think about it more, it's a bit odd, right? Maybe it would make more sense in the Old Testament when they actually didn't have the Holy Spirit living inside of them and they had to go to the temple in order to experience God's presence and they'd go into this place called the Holy of Holies, which is where God's manifest presence would dwell. That might make more sense to say, hey, draw near, get close to his presence. That's why you see in Israel, even to this day, Jewish people trying to get as close as they can to where the Temple Mount is and praying, saying, I want to be close to you. So why is it that this is in the New Testament? Where we have a God who is omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's omniscient. He knows it all. How can we draw near to an omnipresent God? How many of you know you can be in the same room with somebody and not be in the same room with them? Put down your phone. What did I just say? Repeat back to me what I just said. Right? It's never happened to my wife and I, I promise. We're in the same room with someone but we're not actually in the same room with them. You see, we can do that to God. We can be in his presence. God's right here, right now. But we can be distracted. We can get caught up with life. We can get caught up with sports. We can get caught up with the things that are on TV or the things that we're scrolling or the thoughts that run through our head, the anxiety, the fear. We can get caught up in it. So James is reminding us that 
of this promise that when you draw near, when your soul draws near to God, he draws near to you. Why? Because he's always been there. He's been there the whole time. It's up to us to remove the distractions. It's up to us to draw close to his face and say, I want to have a conversation with you. I want to have a relationship with you. And it's in this posture of desire that we see the holiness of God. And that's where the verse continues. It says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You see, in the presence of a holy God, of a perfect God, we have to cleanse ourselves because we see how perfect he is. We see our sin. We see our anger. We see our frustration. We say, God, you're so perfect. You're so holy. I can't come to you like this. I, I need to repent. Repent means to turn away Say, God, forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of my wickedness. Forgive me of all the things that I've done wrong because I'm in your presence. And when I'm in your presence, I don't want any of those things. You start to see it, right? How do you not be a friend of the world? You start to pursue and have relationship with God because when you're with God, when you're spending time with him, the things of this world seem so small. They seem so insignificant because God is so, so good. You see Jesus speak to this in Matthew 6. When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, but don't make a big deal about giving, right, to other people, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets, that they may be praised by others. I say to you, they have received their reward. God says you'll receive a reward from boasting. He just says it will only be on this earth. You'll receive a reward from maybe saying that joke to your coworkers. You'll receive a laugh. You'll receive a reward for watching the show that you know you shouldn't. But wow, is it temporary. And what does it lead to? It leads to death. It says, if you want your reward, go ahead. If you want to brag about what you gave, you can do it. But I have no reward waiting for you. It's a scary thought to think but it's one that's right there and Jesus reminds us of that. A better word for hypocrites maybe there would be actors. I know many actors who are friends to this world, but many of us are actors ourselves. We put on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, or if you're on TikTok, we'll be praying for you. We put up things, our best highlights, the best parts of our life. Maybe our faith doesn't look so strong on social media, but maybe our career does. Maybe our relationship looks really great because of the pictures we take, but maybe behind the scenes it's a total wreck. We act because we want to be friends of the world, but how many of you know when we have relationship with God, we say, I don't want that. God, I want you to restore my relationship. God, I want you to advance my career. God, I want you and only you. Just keep going through this verse. It's so much gold. This is James writing in scripture, not my words, his words. James 4, 9, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. This one's confusing. 
I thought God wants us to be happy and be full of joy. And even in our suffering, we have joy, right? So why should we mourn and weep and our joy turn to gloom? What James is saying is that we shouldn't wink at the sins of our life. We should realize that sin leads to death. And he's writing to an audience that was almost winking at their sin. Like, okay, this, like, we love Christianity, right? We love this story, but we don't need to give up the things of this world. We're just gonna kind of joke about them and it's like, oh yeah, I know, I know, we're good, it's fine, no big deal. And James is saying, oh yeah, that laughter, that joy, that you're making fun of the sin that's actually destroying your life and keeping you away from God and actually causing you to be an enemy of God. Don't laugh at it. But mourn and weep and realize that this is what's keeping you from relationship with our creator. Too many people, they identify with the power of the gospel but completely ignore the fruit of the gospel. They love the power. They love Jesus. Oh, I love what you've done for me. God, that's amazing, but it's so self-serving, right? But what should the gospel do through us? Pastor Rob talked about it last week. We don't want our values to just be on the wall. We want to live them out. And so often that us as Christians, we, we don't live them out. We wish we did, but it's hard. I remember about a year after I received the invitation to hang out with Justin Mac and I, my wife, we got invited to a party. We were traveling, got invited to a party from a friend, and he said, hey, there's going to be a lot of celebrities there, Christian celebrities, and it's, it's going to be really cool. You should come. And so we thought, oh, cool opportunity. And we went there, and immediately as we got into the room, we realized our spirits had just shifted. There's some, maybe you've had that feeling before where you just feel, I don't know if this is where I'm supposed to be. And we saw people, some that we knew, some that we didn't, but we saw alcohol far beyond moderation and people that you could tell just wanted to be known by this world. We stayed there for a short time and I remember getting back to our hotel room and I, I looked at Mac and almost saying both to her and to God at the same time, forgive me if this is what I saw. Forgive me if this is what I was after that being on this stage or sharing this message would ever be about me or about my followers or be about who I could meet or about how much wealth I could have or if people would know me as somebody who's great. Forgive me, God. That's what James is talking about. God, this stuff does not lead to life. I only want you and I only want what leads to life. Irish theologian Adam Clark said, the covetous man grasps at the shadow and loses the substance. See, oftentimes in the world, we see the shadow of what we think is what we want. But you know, when you grab a shadow, there's nothing there. The substance is Christ. The substance is Jesus. There's nothing more that we need than what Jesus has already done for us. 
Now, sure, God can exalt us. God can give us things. He can bless us with it. I don't want this message to feel like if you have any money or if you have any notoriety or if you have any fame, it's all wrong. That's not it at all. What it is, is if that's our desire, then God says, I don't want anything to do with you. You see, the first verse, the strong verse, you adulterous people, he wasn't necessarily talking about people who had committed adultery, but it's symbolism to say, just like Israel, you read all throughout the Old Testament, Israel constantly walks away from God. And what God's trying to tell you and I is when you walk away and when you love the world, it's as if you cheated on me like you cheated on a spouse. It hurts me that bad and you do it over and over again. When we love this world, it hurts God's heart. Maybe you say, I've been tempted to be exalted. I've been tempted in my business. I've been tempted in my job or at school or on my team or whatever it is. I've been tempted and I've just been, I've been trying to get favor with my friends or I've been trying to get favor with people so that I can experience maybe a position that I can start to, to share my faith with, right? It's like if I compromise on this, but then it gets me a greater platform, then that's good, right? It's not. You see Daniel, he, he got favor with God. You see Joseph, he got favor with God. How? Through obedience. Jesus says in Matthew 6, you, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And that word money is mammon, and we've talked throughout the years about this word mammon, and mammon is not necessarily just money like cash in our hands, but it's a, a wealth that is far superior to something that should be desired. It's, it's fame, it's recognition, and it's influence that we desire, we want it. It's, it's a covetous greed, and wealth and fame and recognition and influence, they're great tools on this earth. But Jesus reminds us they're terrible masters. And as I'm there crying and talking to Mac, I realized, God, I don't want this world to be my master. I want you to be my master. And I've not walked away from God in my life. I've followed him my whole life. And maybe someone needs to hear that you don't need to go out and say, oh, I need to find myself and I need to go out and I need to experience something to have a testimony or I need to do that. Or if you're a student here and you're in high school or middle school or college and you say, I need to go out and live my life a little so I have a story to tell for God to redeem me. That's not what God is saying. He's saying you can can follow Jesus your whole life and that is worth it. You can follow after him and not do the things that this world says are cool because God sees you and he knows you and he loves you and he cares for you. But he says, I want to be the thing you have relationship. I want to be the thing that is your friend. As you draw near to him, he promises to meet you there. So I ask this question again. How do we know if our recognition comes from our selfishness or if it comes from God exalting us? James 4.10. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. The only way to escape our love for the world is to put our full dependence on God. It doesn't mean that we'll automatically get a blessing of material wealth immediately, 
but it also doesn't mean that we won't. It means that God's in charge. He's in charge of that promotion. He's in charge of that relationship. He's in charge of your athletic ability or your musical talent or whatever it is. He's the one who gave it to you. And he will exalt you how if you humble yourself before him. You say, God, it's only by you. It is only by you that I have this gift. And because of that, I wanna give you the glory for it all. It makes it easy. It's not even my gift. It's not even my story, it's his story. And he wants me to have a part in it. It's not even your money, it's his money. He says, I've just asked you to steward it well. The millions of dollars that we raise in miracle offering and kingdom builders, it wasn't even ours to begin with. It's always been his. So I say, God, whatever you've given me, whatever talent, whatever ability, all of it, I wanna do that for your glory. I wanna humble myself before you. And I want only to be exalted if it's in your plan. Do you bow your heads with me and just open your hands in front of you? In a moment, if you don't have that relationship with Jesus, someone at your campus is gonna come up and close and give you the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Maybe you say, I've not been humble before God. I've been depending on the world. I've been fighting for fame and recognition. God says, I'm giving you the opportunity because I've been here all along. And if you draw near to me, I promise to draw near to you. So God, I pray right now for every person in this room, every campus watching, all those watching online, that we'd realize that you've given us everything. God, that we will humble ourselves before you, that we'd realize that you are the only one that can exalt us. And God, we thank you for the gifts you've given us. We thank you for the opportunities in front of us. And God, we pray that we would steward them well. But more than anything, God, I pray that we would be reminded that you are our God, that pride is a terrible master, that greed is a terrible master. But God, you're the greatest because you died on the cross for our sins, the death that we deserved so that we could have relationship with you. The greatest privilege on this earth is that we can have relationship with our God in heaven. So we pray we'd lean into that again today. Give us more humility. Give us more grace. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.